Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Well, hey, I am excited to be here tonight for a few reasons. One, I love small towns. I love churches in small towns. It's kind of a passion of mine uh, because we kind of get each other. You know, I was talking with our staff this morning and it was, uh, you'll understand this, I, my wife sent me to Walmart on New Year's Eve for 10 things, and it took two hours to get through Walmart. You know, we always joke we're starting another campus at Walmart because we just always run into each other there, and you know, you turn a corner and you see everybody you know, and for me, that means I can't act like an idiot out in public, which is really great accountability, uh, but sometimes you just want to act like an idiot, you know? But you can't. And so it's, uh, I just love, I love the small town. And I love, the, I, I love facing and addressing some of the challenges that we have because uh, I feel like the small town is getting left in the dust, so to speak. And I think there's a lot of, of lives to be reached and there's a lot of fruit in a small town. And you, what I love about this place is you guys are doing it. And that is just amazing to see. Um, our, our small town is Bryan, Ohio, and our claim to fame is it's where Spangler candy is. They make dumbed up suckers and all the candy canes you probably ate over Christmas. And so in certain days, something happens with the system and they have to back vent it out and it smells like suckers in our town. And it is amazing. And it's terrible for a fat guy like me to smell sugar all the time, but it's, it's, a, it's a great smell. And then our town is the inventor and the maker of the Etch-A-Sketch. And so in our town, everybody kind of works there at those places, and uh, we just, we love it. We've been there three years. The other reason I'm excited to be here is because I can say things here that nobody here can fire me for. And so hopefully uh, we can have an honest conversation about life tonight, and I'm not worried you're going to fire me. I'm just going to get in my car, drive off, hopefully don't crash in a snowstorm. Um, you know, I don't believe in accidents. I, I believe that you are here tonight for a reason. And I don't believe the songs we sang tonight were an accident. God has a way of doing that. And there's a theme, this idea of freedom. Um, We believe a lie a lot of times, myself included. Um, It was about three and a half months ago, and I had a complete meltdown like full-on meltdown. And it was rough because I'm the one in my house that usually has a plan. I'm the one in our house that says, this is what we're going to do. And I'm the one in our house that fixes the problems. But I was severely broken and I didn't know how to fix it. I was doing dishes and all my kids, I have four kids, 10, 7, 5, and 2. And they were all up getting ready for bed, and I was doing dishes, and we have a dishwasher. But when I get mad, uh, when I'm angry, when I'm confused, when I'm frustrated, I I clean. That's my thing. It's how I get energy out. My wife, I'm a Michigan fan, and so she's, I think she secretly roots for Michigan to lose, because if they lose, I just clean the whole house, and it's, it's great for everybody except me. And so I'm in there. There was just something going on in my spirit, and I I just had to do something, and so I'm doing dishes, and my wife came in, and she was like, hey, what's going on, you know? And I just started sobbing uncontrollably, and I couldn't stop, and it it scared my wife, and honestly, it scared me, 
because I felt like it was the first time in my life I didn't know what was happening. And I didn't know what was going to happen. And that's a scary place. And after about 10 minutes of just uncontrollable sobbing, I, I finally mustered up what I thought was maybe wrong. And I told my wife, I said, look, I just feel like everybody needs something from me all the time. And I feel like people at work need me. This is why I love to be able to speak on behalf of other pastors, because sometimes we can say things that your pastor can't always get up here and say. In Hebrews, it talks about how the pastor's role, it actually, it's an instruction. It says, make your pastor's job, make it a joy for him to pastor you. And then it says, because he keeps watch over the flock. There's this beautiful imagery, and the word keep watch means to stay awake at night. Pastor Mel and your other pastors, they stay awake at night thinking about your soul. And it is an incredibly heavy job and one that we don't take lightly. And it was, I felt like I was needed in that aspect and I was so needed. You know, I have four kids and I'm married and I just felt like everybody needed something from me. And if I'm being honest, I did not feel like I was enough. And it terrified me. And for the first time, I felt like I was completely broken. This is fresh for me. (laughs) In fact, I I met with our executive pastor the next day, and I just said, man, something's not right. Um, I feel broken. And I ended up talking to our elders that night, and they graciously came around and said, we want you to be healthy. And and so I, I was able to start some counseling, which has just been so amazing, so amazing. And I think it's something everybody should do. But I would venture to say, there are probably people in this room that feel that way. You feel like you don't have enough. You have responsibilities at work, and you have families that depend on you, and you have, you have employees that depend on you, and you have fellow employees and employers that depend on you. And, and then that's just this earthly stuff. But when we talk about the spiritual realm, you're going like, Really, God? Like, you love me? Because uh, that's what I wrestled with, was, can God really love me? You know, I, I stand on a stage and I preach that every week, and then in the quietness of my home, over a sink of soapy dishes, I'm going, I don't think that's true. I don't know. And I think the church, to our discredit, has not allowed ourselves to talk about that. We've not allowed ourselves to talk about what depression looks like. We've not allowed to talk about what anxiety looks like. And we all come in and we go, hey, how's it going? How's your kids? How's soccer? It's great. It's fine. And we get in our cars and we cry all the way home. And we're lonely. And it's something that we deal with is, am I enough? There's an... In, in the parenting world, it's, you never feel like enough. You always feel like you do the dumbest thing possible as a parent. And then you have these mommy blogs. You know, it's blogs dedicated to how awesome this mom is that makes all these Pinterest projects and everything looks perfect. And then you go to try to do it and it looks like a complete dumpster fire. You know what I'm saying? 
and it, like everything's melted in the middle and it just nothing looks right or that project guys you're like oh I could build that and then it's like falling apart and you're just like uh, once again I'm another failure I can't live up to that this is our culture our culture creates this environment of I can never live up to everybody else I can never live up to be enough and while that might be manageable on earth we apply that to our spiritual life which is devastating absolutely devastating because we go, I'm not enough, and we live like that's true. And in some way, it is. <laughs> that's what I've had to wrestle with. But that's why Jesus came. Because we weren't. We couldn't. But someone was. And so we live our lives this way. Students, I know they're not in here, but our culture puts so much pressure on our students you got to get the best grades, and you better start college when you're a ninth grader in high school, and you better be on the right travel teams, and you got to do these extracurriculars, and you better be applying to colleges in ninth grade, and you, and like, kids are going like, they, they just have to be collapsing under that. I mean, in my house, my dad was like, you got to see, that's a great job, Mike, you know, let's hang that on the fridge. But now, there's just so much pressure on them to be enough. And you know what? This isn't the first time this has been a problem. <laughs> this goes back all the way to the beginning. You look at the book of Colossians. It's actually not really a book, it's a letter. This guy named Paul writes this letter to the church in the city of Colossae, and Paul is an incredibly interesting person because he got a name change. He had an encounter with God, and when he encountered God, everything changed for him, and he became the, the biggest antagonist of the Christian movement that was spreading and trying to squash it and stop it and kill it to becoming the person who is the leader in trying to get this message around the world. And, and he, he was doing this, and he was planting these churches, and he was raising up leaders, and he's leaving them there to lead the people and, and to love the people. And every once in a while, we get this beautiful glimpse into him writing a letter back to one of these churches. And just giving them some instruction and some encouragement. You see, in, in the Christians in the city of Colossae, this was, this was an issue for them. They, they had, had changed lives, and then some other teachings kind of started to creep in. And you know why they started to get traction? Because they felt like, well, maybe it's not enough. And there, there were all kinds of them that kind of crept in. Uh, you had the Judaizers, and they believed that while God, God offered this gift of grace, that somehow we had to do some things to earn that. You had this law that you had to keep. And honestly, their big issue was the whole circumcision thing. Then you had the Gnostics, and they came in and they go, yes, God is good, his love is good, but there's this kind of this secret knowledge that you have to have. And when you, when you have this secret knowledge, then you're, you're, you're enough. It's good. And Paul hears about this through the grapevine, and he's like, oh, no, we're not having this. And he writes a letter back to them. And I just kind of want to read the beginning of this letter that we see here. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. And we are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. We always pray for you. 
And we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth of God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. Paul starts his letter by saying, let me remind you of a few things. And it's, sometimes it's that simple. It's to be reminded of the good news, the gospel, the grace that you and I experienced and the change that we experienced. And Paul goes, listen, all this stuff is creeping in. Go back to what you know. Go back to where you experienced change. Go back to something that made you different. Go back to the good news. The good news, by the way, that is spreading all over the world and changing lives just like it changed yours. The good news, by the way, for the reason that we're sitting here tonight. And that is amazing. There have been countless efforts to squelch this movement, and you can't do it. And Paul is reminding them, Look, you don't have to have a secret knowledge. You don't have to follow this, and there's not these regulations. And he goes, remember, just remember one thing. Remember the good news that changed your life. So, what do we, what do, we do then? Like, what is my responsibility? That's the question we have to ask. What is my responsibility in all this? Look, the good news of Jesus is incredible news. But what do I have to do? And this is where I wrestled. My whole life, I've found my value in what I can or can't do for people. And now I've just applied that to my job as a pastor and to my faith. My value is found in what I can or can't do for God, as if I could do enough anyways. And it's crushing because you always feel like a failure. Moms and dads in here, you, you get this. You always feel this way. You always feel, did I do enough? Did I do enough? Enough is just this giant trap word. Because what is enough? Is it ever enough? So what is our responsibility? The first thing is this. We can be confident. That's simple. We can be confident. If you look at verse 9 in Colossians 1, he, Paul says this, so we have stopped, we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. We read over that like it's nothing, but the implication of that are just ginormous. And we can live with so much confidence in verse 9. But aren't we told knowledge is bad, right? Knowledge puffeth up. I mean, that was how the whole sin thing happened was because of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And in Proverbs, don't lean on your own understanding, your own knowledge, but trust in him. Is, isn't knowledge wrong, we ask? Look at verse 10. Then the way you live, the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. 
when we lean and we go back to verse 9, if we are living in his spiritual wisdom and his understanding and his knowledge, then the way you're going to live is going to honor and please the Lord. And your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. You see, Paul's addressing a human dynamic because we all want to do something that is productive in life. We all do. Now, that's not a new thing. The Christians in Colossae wanted to be productive with their life. Paul goes, you want to be productive with your life? Live in the spiritual wisdom and understanding of God. And all the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. Our mission at New Hope is helping people find hope one step at a time. Because we believe that life is this journey. And that we never arrive But every day there's a new step for us to take. There's a a new way to grow. And the process of growing is such a beautiful process because it's the more we take these steps and the more we do this, the better and better our relationship with God gets. So what does it produce in us? Paul says a life that honors and pleases God. It produces good fruit and it produces growth. If we were to go and sit down at a restaurant and eat an E, wouldn't all of us go, yeah, I'd love to have that in my life. I'd love to live a life that pleases God. I'd love to live a life that produces good fruit. I would love to constantly be growing. We can be confident not in ourselves, but in who God is. And when we live in that confidence, we begin to silence the fears that we face every single day. And we can live confidently. Because when we feel like we're not not enough, everything in life is anything but confident. Because we're always wondering, was that right? Was that good? I don't know. The second thing that we can do is we can be strengthened. We can be strengthened. Verse 11, the very first part, he says, We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power. I love this word strength because the translated word is dynamis. And it's a really cool word. This word dynamis, it's the same word that you see in the Gospels that's used to describe the miracles of Jesus. Paul says, and this is crazy, he says, look, we also pray that you will be strengthened. We also pray that you will experience dynamis. We also want you to experience this miracle that is a strength that is otherworldly. You can actually live with that kind of power. We can live with dynamis in our life. And Paul goes, you can be encouraged and you can be strengthened with all of his glorious power. Because when you live in him, crazy things happen. We we experience, you know, I have people say, I'd love to experience a miracle in my life. And I'm going, brother, you have. When you live in Christ, it is, that alone is a miracle. And that is a miracle that is not to be overlooked because something incredible happened in us and changed in us. And Paul is telling the church in Colossae, don't forget that. Don't let anything else come in and kind of sweep you away and you feel like it's not enough, it's not enough, and I got to believe this, and I got to, he goes, no, 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 you experienced a miracle and you can be strengthened in that. Well, well, why? He goes in the next part of 11, so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. Look, I have four kids. I need a lot of endurance and patience (laughs) every day, but we all do. And you may be sitting in here going through something 
that nobody knows about, and it is just heavy. It might be a diagnosis. It might be a broken relationship. It just might be a something in your soul that feels broken, and you feel like, I don't have the strength. I don't have the endurance. I don't have the patience to deal with this. Paul is reminding them, when you live like he is enough, there's a miracle that happens, and it is a miracle to see someone who walks through something like cancer, and they walk through it with grace and power, and you go, how? It's a miracle. It's a miracle. And he says, God has the ability to produce in us these things, this endurance and this patience. Something that, man, I need. I need. The third one is we can be filled with joy. That's our responsibility to be filled with joy. And I'm going to be really transparent with you right now. When I say that, I feel like a giant hypocrite. Our theme for the last year at our church was joy. And every time I got up to preach a message about joy, I thought, you're such a liar. You don't believe this. Because it felt like it was unattainable. And I desperately wanted it. And I thought, well, if I can say this year our theme is joy, it'll magically happen. But I was looking for it in all the wrong ways and all the wrong places. And it just led to anything but a life filled with joy. And I love when you see Paul writing. He says this over and over and to different churches that he writes to. And he says it in the end of verse 11 here to the Christians in Colossae. He says, may you be filled with joy. And if Paul's sitting down and telling me that, I'm going, why? Paul, why? Tell me why. Why should I be filled with joy? How can I be filled with joy, Paul? Verse 12 through 14, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people whom live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom. Paul is such an incredible writer. He uses these illustrations that are so beautiful. And he is saying at one point, you were in a shadow of darkness. And now you get to live in the light. And you get to experience an inheritance unlike anything else. You know, the biggest thing I've had to wrestle with this year is that before I'm a pastor, before I'm a husband, before I'm a father, before I am anything, I am a prince to the king. And I did not live like that was a reality. I, I lived some other way, but we forget that we are sons and daughters of a king. That's why I love the songs that we sang, I'm no longer a slave to fear, but I'm a child of God. And there is so much joy in that. That little sentence alone brings me more joy than I've experienced in a long time because there's dynamis in that. There is power. There is a miracle that takes place. There's a song I think we're singing here in a little bit. One of my favorite lines is, you left the grave behind and so will I. I I've been living in a grave 
And I, I told my wife, I said, no more. Like, no more. That me is gone. And this isn't the first time Paul has said things like this. You see it in other writings, and then you even see in Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I had lost heart, and I had grown weary, and I had forgotten these words. And I would venture to say that there are probably people in this room that have forgotten those words. And you feel weary, and you feel burdened, and you don't have to live that way. You can experience a miracle. This year has been, we're like a few weeks into it, right? And it's already been the most different year of my life. I've been able to have conversations with people that I I never thought I would have over the last two months. I think culture is hungry for transparency. There's There's a group of people right up here they aren't like the future of the church. They are the church. And they are desperate for it. If you look at all the statistics, millennials, I'm on the very tail end of a millennial. We, we prefer, right, no human interaction. It's all through a screen. Right, you send somebody a text message and they call you, are like, what is wrong with you? Why would you call me? I just sent you a text message. But now they know your phone is in your hand. Gen Zers, that's not them. They desperately want to sit down and have a meaningful conversation. They have so many questions. And unfortunately, we're not willing to address some of them. And they're real questions. Uh, As a student pastor, uh, I always would tell our students, look, God is not afraid of your questions. (laughs) Questions lead to answers. Answers lead to truth. And the scripture tells us the truth does what? Sets us free. You, You want freedom? Sixth grader, ask your questions. Wrestle with your doubts. Because if you don't do it now, you're just not going to do it. And you're going to be 50, 60, 70, and just be content with the way everything is. We have to be willing to wrestle with those. We have to be willing. They desperately want to see leaders in the church who go, I don't have it all together either. I have my own doubts. I have my own questions. I wrestle with some of these things. I don't know why. I feel broken at times. I need healing just like you need healing. We don't have it figured out because we're adults. We don't. And they desperately want to see that. And I think you're going to see churches that embrace that mentality. They're going to explode. And they're going to change the kingdom. And they're going to build the kingdom. And churches that refuse to, I'm honestly afraid what's going to happen. And so we we need to raise up generations and leaders who are willing to address these issues, who are willing to get up and say, I understand you probably struggle with depression. How can we walk through that? 
What does that look like? If, if we remember nothing else tonight, here's, here's what I want you to remember. It's not about what we have to do. It's about what he has already done. <laughs> if we could live in that sweet spot, it's not about what we have to do. It's about what he has already done. I remember as a kid, I, I, I always loved playing sports. And I remember I'd, I'd, I'd have a great game and I'd feel great. I'd have a bad game and some idiot would go, it's just a game and I would want to throat punch them. I'm an incredibly competitive person, okay? And I, I, remember, I remember walking off the field or off the court after a, a bad game. This is not a testament to my parents. My parents are amazing people and never, ever put this on me. This was my stuff. But I remember walking off the court or the field with my head hung thinking, my dad's not going to be very happy with me. And he always was. Always was. But I believe that lie. Every day, I believe that lie. And as I got into being an adult... I believe that lie about my heavenly father. When I would do something boneheaded, I would go, he can't love me. He can't love me. I'm not enough. And so I would work, and I would work, and I would work, and I would work, and I would feel good when things were going well, but when things weren't, it was ugly. And I wonder how many Christians that we have that live that way. Instead of just living in the freedom and in the joy of Jesus... I want you to self-reflect. I want you to be willing to, to wrestle with these things. Have you felt this way? Just a couple of things that we can do. Be open about what you're struggling with. Don't, don't run from it. Run to it. That's what we love about superheroes and superhero movies. Everybody else runs from the bad guy. The superhero runs directly to him. We love that. But then when trouble comes in our life, we want to run away from it and hide from it and sweep it under a rug. What if we just began to run to it, run to it? We began to deal with it. And we said, I'm not, I'm not just going to live my life with this thing in the darkness. I'm going to drag it into the light because I live in the light. I'm going to deal with it. Have you wrestled with these doubts of not being enough? And the second thing is this. Lean into God, not into yourself. Because while the first part of Proverbs says, lean not on your own understanding, the second part goes on to say, but in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will guide your paths. And he will lead you. If you will lean on him, and not on yourself. Paul was addressing a human issue when he wrote this letter to the, to the believers in Colossae. Like, there's nothing new under the sun when it comes to this stuff. We've just packaged it differently. They didn't have the internet to compare themselves to. And so people would come in and they would teach these things and they would go, I wonder, maybe there is something to this. And Paul would take you back to that place. I think if Paul was here tonight, he would take us back to that place. He would say, you know what? We've made it too complicated. 
Just go back to that time. Draw a circle around it and remember what happened there. Remember who you were and remember how God changed you. Remember who you became. Remember, this is Paul saying this, a guy who knows exactly what that is like. This isn't some theologian off in nowhere's land saying some high things. This is a guy that literally met God on a road, went blind, he was able to see again, and lived a drastically different life. He gets it. And by the way, Paul also gets in his other letters, he gets what suffering is like. The guy suffered more than any Christian you, know, you can think of. Shipwrecked, imprisoned, beaten half to death. And Paul knows a little something about patience and endurance and living in the strength that is God. And it's the same God that you and I have the ability and the, the beautiful, beautiful way of leaning into that same God. It's the same God. And so I... My heart, this, this has been something that I just feel like is kind of a message I need to share. Because I'm normally the, we're, we're taking a hill, and, and I, I just feel like this is something that the church needs to wrestle with. I feel like this is something that if we could actually drag this into the light and, and begin to process this stuff and begin to to deal with it, the health of the church would go through the roof. But we secretly hide all this stuff and we put on a, a facade and we, we wear a different identity. And, and it makes the church anemic. It makes the church unhealthy. And if we would just all go, nope, let's bring it into the light and let's deal with this and let's talk about this and every day, one step at a time, grow and grow and grow, the implications of that would be absolutely crazy. I'm just convinced that they would. But it starts with us. It starts with you. It starts with me. We have to ask, am I willing to do that hard work? Am I willing to face that fear? Am I willing to begin to believe like I don't have to be a slave anymore? That I get to live as royalty? Begin to change the world around us. Would you pray with me? God, Sometimes we're broken. But yet, you have healed. And in those moments where we want to go to that broken life, those moments where we want to go back to a grave, help us to say, you left it behind and so will I. God, for those tonight that this terrifies them because they have lived this way for years. And they're wondering, if I talk about this, if I mention this to somebody, if, if I open up, they're going to think something about me and it's going to be bad. I pray that you would quiet their fears. I pray that you would lead them and you would move them to see growth and health in their life. 
so that they're not stuck there forever. God, for those who maybe for the first time are, they have, they have battled, do I take this step of faith and give it my life to God or do I keep it for myself and I'm unsure and I have doubts and I have questions, God, I pray tonight they would remove those and for the first time they would cross a line that says there's no going back now. I am in this. My life is yours. God, we are enough. But you are. You are and we need you. And we want to see you do something amazing and we want to see you move in our own lives and in the lives of the people that we love and in the communities that we live in and in the world. Like your gospel message is already done time and time again. We want to see more of it. God, help us to to make this a personal thing. And our faith is our faith, and you are our God, and we are your child. Help us to live there. And help us not to go back to the grave. Help us to live in your freedom and experience true joy. True joy. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.